programmed by enthusiasts, not accountants. This is Get Ready to Rock Radio. And uh, here at Get Ready to Rock, it's a great pleasure to uh, introduce a guy who's been treading the boards and making albums for nearly 35 years now with Tigers of Pantang. Hello to the founder member, Rob Weir. Hello, Rob. Good morning, and how the, how, how the devil are you, sir? Very well, and nice to talk to you again, Rob. It's, uh, you know, great to catch up, really, with... Uh, history and also of course bringing the story right up to date with the brand new album ambush which is coming out and we'll talk about that but did you think that nearly 35 years after the formation of tigers that you'd be still treading the boards and releasing new albums did, did i think i was still going to be doing this in, in, in earnest probably not um because you know that, that that's the great mystery of life you never quite know know what's around the corner i know what's around the corner of, of my kitchen is my african great parrot called percy because he's whistling uh, <laughs> I don't, th- I don't think you set out at the age of, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, and think to myself, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So, hey, I, I guess some people do. So some people, and th- I think the difference is you probably want to do it for the rest of your life, but whether it's actually achievable, hey, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's another whole, you know, whole game, I guess. Um, so probably, you know, I, I probably thought to myself, yes, I do want to do this for the rest of my life, because uh, well, who wouldn't? What an absolutely fantastic life. Um, you know, t- making albums, touring around the world, writing songs, y- 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 your own songs, and-, and people come to shows and uh, um, you know uh, and-, and appreciate them, and they're coming to see you ultimately, and, and you know the material which you've written, you've created in your head uh, and with your fingers. Um, but y- y- you just don't know what w- what lies ahead, really, and, and that is that that is the-, the-, the lovely mystery of life. <laughs> yes. Now um, the band's had a fairly sort of up-down existence, at least um, in you know the sort of the early days, especially in the eighties, really, when it reformed. But you weren't in the band. Um, I mean, what would you say uh, across that sort of thirty-plus year history have been the the high points for you and the low points? Starting perhaps with the the low points. Uh, well, the, the, the low the, the low point, I guess, um, quite um, obvious and clearly for me would be uh, the phone call that I got um, initially saying that um, Brian and I weren't required anymore um, in the middle of '83. Um, which, um, considering I started it all, um, I, I, I couldn't quite get my head around. Um, I uh, I'd just come back from holiday. Um, in Spain, uh, my first job was to go to one of these wonderful old red telephone boxes that we used to have, uh, and you put your money in, and you put your finger on the dial, and you rang a number. Um, and uh, I remember ringing Rocky, the bass player, um, and saying, "Hi, how are you? I'm back. You know what's what's going on? What's happening?" Um, and he said, "I've got some bad news for you." And um, there's a bit more to that tale, but which which I won't go into. Um, but suffice to say that um, that my next my next ten pence in the telephone uh, was to Brian um, and had a chat with him, and uh, we decided to um, to carry on in the music business um, and, and and put a, a, a another band together um, in, in you know in the same kind of vein. So that was a low point. Now, what about high points over this thirty-year-plus uh, period? Well. What about outselling the Scorpions on the same night in the same town? We played um, Osaka. Uh, we were playing a three and a half, three and a half, three and a half, four thousand seater, uh, which was sold out. They were playing in Osaka on the other side of town, 
on the same night, which we didn't know. Um, and the reason why, well, how, how it all came about was because when we went back to the hotel, um, the Scorpions were staying at the same hotel uh, in Osaka, uh, and we actually, you know, we put our, put our, our guitars and stuff in, you know, in our hotel bedrooms. Went downstairs to the bar to, to, to meet, and as we did every night, you know, to, to, to chew chew over the show and see what what was good, what was bad, and you know, um, one thing or other. And there, the first person I, I saw was Rudolf Schenker in his in his sort of um, fedora hat and uh, you know his leather trousers and one thing or other. Now, the year before, uh, two years before that, we'd actually opened up for the Scorps um, in the city halls uh, in the UK um, on the Love Drive tour. So uh, we'd had an association with them, and 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 you know, kind of knew them through that. So it was like a you know, and we were headlining, they were headlining. It was it was kind of a great big party, really. Um, and I was at the bar, and, and our promoter came across um, uh, to me, and he, and he with a big smile on his face, and I said, "You got a big smile on your face. What's what, what's go, what's going on?" Um, and uh, he said, uh, "I know, I, I know, whatever he was called." Uh, Yoshio or whatever, the, the, the promoter who's promoted the Scorpions, um, and he said, you know, as promoters do, we compare notes, and uh, we've, we've outsold them by about 400 tickets. <laughs> so I said, oh, fantastic. That's, uh, that's, that's something that probably, um, you know, you couldn't... Uh, they'd that, that, sell us by, uh, by 400,000 tickets now if we played anywhere, but there you go. That's incredible. And what, what year would that have been, Rob, then? That was it, uh, 82 in Japan. Get ready to rock radio, music you want to hear. We're talking to Rob Weir, the founder member and uh, guitarist, songwriter with Tigers of Pantang, who release their brand new album in September 2012, Ambush. And we're talking about Chris Sangarides. How do you think you've benefited from working with him again? I mean, what does a top producer like Chris bring to the table? Everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, he's, he's a, he's an, he started off his career as an engineer, as you do. You know, you, you, in the old day, back in the old days, you know, you were a tea boy and kicking about the studios, and then you, you got a chance to, to learn uh, um, the, the engineering techniques and how to get different sounds out of different things, how to mic things up properly, what the right mics to use are, the, 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 uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And, and, and he, you know, he, he had a, he had a great grounding. He was an engineer for Black Sabbath, for Judas Priest. Um, you know, uh, uh, all the biggies of the time, went into production himself, but still did his own engineering, which is which is, which is where we came in uh, back in in 1980 when we did Wildcat with him, um, and um, he just he, he he knows what he's doing. He knows how to if 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 you describe a sound, he can get it. And and now when we recorded with him in January. With you know he's got he's got Grammy now for Painkiller uh, you know the, it, the the walls of his studio are just littered um, with uh, and I mean littered lit, lit, as in the, the nicest possible sense with gold discs platinum discs all the people that he's produced got for for goodness sake he's got a five hundred thousand copy gold disc for Samantha Fox. <laughs> uh, you know not something that you'd expect to find on on, on, a, on a rock producer's wall but there you are you know. Um, yeah. Uh, just so many accolades uh, that, that he's that, that he's achieved. We were lucky enough. Now, not only did he have the knowledge in in 1980 fresh in his mind, but he's now got 30 years worth worth more knowledge of, of working with top artists in top studios all over the world. You know that, that he can bring to the table. Um, 
you know, how ACDC got their snare drum sound on Back in Black, you know, the, the tricks that were employed to do that, and, and stuff like that. It's just, I won't say there's nothing he doesn't know, but there's not a lot he doesn't know. Um, and and he, he has, especially reserved for us, and, 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 and of course it's not, but I'm, I'm going to say that because it was us, uh, you know, Chris Tangeridi's producer, Special Dust, which, which, is, which is in his left-hand pocket, and he just kind of got a, a, a little sprinkling of that, and he just sprinkled it over the finished product, and, it's, and it is what it is. It's, you know, it, it's absolutely fantastic. He's, he's done us so proud. Uh, and indeed, you know, we, we can't wait to, to, to do the next, um, whenever and whatever it's going to be, you know, the, the next set of recordings with him. Oh, that's great. So what you're saying really, Rob, is that he, he I mean, obviously, great experience, um, great attention to the actual sound, the sonic quality, but creatively, does he bring, you know, you obviously came with the songs and the ideas, but would you say that it becomes a, more a partnership with somebody like him? Very much so. He, he's, he, if, if he thinks something's not right, or, or, or he says, you know, he doesn't say, right, we'll do it like this. He, he, he you know, he'll say... We'll, we'll, we'll record the song, and he'll say, what do you think about putting two choruses there? Or what do you think about doing half that, and, and we'll do that, you know, put, put that in, in put the, he'll say to Craig, because I don't understand, he'll say to Craig, what, what about doing that in three, four time? And, 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 and I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, what does that mean? Because obviously, you know, Chris obviously understands all this uh, weird, weird and wonderful stuff, and so does Craig, because Craig teaches drums. If Animal Instinct lacked anything, it lacked... Chris's touch, because because uh, you know we we sort of did that ourselves, and it was mixed by um, Ben Matthews from from Thunder. You know, with with all the experience which which Chris has, he ju- he just has that that just has that something extra, and, and and that's what's come out on Ambush. This is radio for the internet age. Get ready to rock radio. Now, Spellbound saw the arrival of John Sykes to the band, who later, of course, went on to play in Whitesnake in the late 80s. Now, how come he didn't stay, Rob, after the third album, Crazy Nights? He played on a a couple of tracks on that album. Um, Did he feel constrained? Because I I understand he was perhaps the second guitarist then. John, lovely, lovely fella. um, But I think John thought that... He, 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 when he joined the Tigers, he, he, he thought that that was uh, that was probably you know where he wanted to be. But uh, you know, as as we were getting bigger and, and progressing on, I, I think he uh, he was looking at, at you know, unbeknown to me, um, looking at, at even bigger things. And um, at half past two one morning, he um, left his uh, his flat that he shared with with Jeff Cox at the time, um, and oddly enough, John Deverell, although Jeff wasn't in the band and John Deverell was in the band. As as a singer, um, it was quite a bizarre arrangement, um, and went off to audition for Ozzy, uh, which he didn't get. Um, and I think Jakey Lee got that. Yeah, eighty one, I think. And he went off t- uh, and did did a solo single uh, in a studio in Dublin. And next door, in the studio next door, was in Lizzie, and um, that's how that, that's how all that started. I mean, it's, it's intriguing this because um, back in the day, let's say, Rob, did you take on more of the lead guitar role? Um, when we chose as a four piece, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when when John came into the band, um, John, John was a was a fantastic guitar player, better guitar player than me uh, by far, uh, and you know, um, John, you know, 
took on a, an awful lot of uh, of the lead stuff. I think we we, 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 we kind of shared it, um, but I, I think he wanted more and more of the limelight. Really, um, probably yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and when when you're young and um, you're you, you know um, you're a bit headstrong and a, and, a, and a bit egotistical and a bit daft, um, there was quite a there was there was quite a um, an, e- an an ego struggle, um, you know, within the band of, you know, if there was a, f- a photographer appeared, there was a rush to, to, as to who could stand, you know, in the middle, uh, and, and get sent, you know, sent a pose and. Likewise, in the studio, you know, uh, there was a, you know, well, I'll play this guitar solo. No, I'll play this guitar solo, and it was, it was, it was, you know, it was a kind of a, it was a one of those sort of things. Whereas, the lovely thing about playing now um, in the band now is, you, you, you struggle to get anybody to do anything. Never, never mind run to be in the in the centre or, or or play this or play that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so there's no egos. There's just so so laid back. I've been lucky enough to work with guitar players that are a lot better than I am. Uh, Dean's absolutely his, his ability is, is outstanding, um, and, and, and proves it. You know, every night that we play, uh, you know, when he because he plays a different guitar solo every night, and, and you know, some nights I think, oh yeah, that's that's pretty good, that's okay. And some nights I go, uh, you know, I'll say to him afterwards. You've got to remember that. That was fantastic. What you knew? What, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> Going back again to the early eighties, because around about the time that you had John Sykes, and then he left the band, and all the rest of it. That what, what we've been talking about, really. Um, you were also having problems with the label MCA, and uh, that they apparently wanted you to record more, um, more of other people's songs. I think you, you've mentioned, yeah. That way with the cage. I think I, I think I only had one song on the cage, which was actually that that little musical interlude called the cage. Um, it, all our songs were, were kind of pushed out the way by by other songwriters, um, and we, we actually demoed a fifth album, which was all our own compositions. Uh, played it to the record company uh, in their boardroom, and they said, "Oh yeah, this is uh, yeah, it's very good, um, but." We've got these songs that you'd like. We'd like you to play, uh, and they were just all by American songwriters and, and, and stuff like that. And we, we just said, no. What, why should we play other people's songs when we can write songs just as good? And they said, well, yeah, but you know that that that's your opinion. I said, well, hang on a second. We had a number thirteen album with Wildcat, you know, uh, which which was you know which I wrote. We had a number eighteen album with Spellbound, which you know uh, you know I wrote half and John wrote half and and. And, and Rocky and Brian, um, and, and John Devil, you know, played their part in that. John Devil writing the lyrics and the melodies, and, and you know, you know, everybody did their bit, um, you know, as they do. Uh, because even if you don't, if you don't actually present the the the, the guitar line, if you like, the the, the 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 opening the opening gambit, the opening idea of the song, you still, you know, I'm not writing Rocky's bass part. So he, he writes that, so you, you, you still write, you still, you know, a, a, an integral part of the, of the unit, d- doing your own bit. So you, you're still, you're still, you know, writing your own future, if you like, almost. Yes, yes. So, so we, you know, we said no. We're, we're not, we're not prepared to uh, to play other people's songs. Um, we've done it. We've, we've we've done the next album for you. Here you go. Um, and it, it 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 wasn't good enough. Um, in their mind, I don't mean the material. Our material wasn't good enough. It just it, it, they, they wanted us to play other people's songs, and that was that. Uh, and and that was the deal. You know, if you want if you want to stay with us, 
um, you know, and f for us to, the association to carry on, then you do us. And we said no. Uh, and we actually, all five of us on mass got up and walked out. And, and that was that. Um, and, you know, whether it's foolhardy, whether it's very brave, um, I don't know. But that, that's, that's exactly what happened. Um, and um, we were without a record company. Uh, you know, uh, probably the biggest record company in the world, um, MCA, if you think about it, because they're backed and funded by um, Universal, uh, CIC Universal Studios. Well, it was like a landmark, that, really, because from from then, the band seemed to dissolve, really, in the mid-80s. Mid it did. We, 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 our, our management had, um, through, again, you know, other things that have happened, had... Um, not been with us for, for, for quite a few months, uh, so we were without management. Uh, we were looking for management. The five of us, you know, all kind of had opinions and ideas of how you know the world should evolve um, within within you know Tiger World, um, and th that was a problem as well uh, because you know every, everybody had an opinion um, rather than one person, i.e., management having an opinion saying this this is what we shall do. Um, so we were, we were leaderless, really, and, uh, and, and I think if you don't have a leader in, in, in situations like that, um, dissension uh, becomes a, a big part of things and, and everything just falls to bits, and that's what happened. Mm. And that takes us sort of a bit full circle from uh, talking about the low points, really. But I think we should say before we leave that period, Rob, that um, for, for listeners who want to know a bit more about that 80s period, I mean, there were effectively two Splinter Tiger groups uh, in the 80s and a couple of albums which appeared under the Tigers of Pantang name, um, which were The Wreckage and uh, Burning in the Shade. Now, I've uh, just been listening to that because it's been reissued in the last couple of years and it's nothing like the tigers is it it's um to be honest it's dreadful sounding i'm glad you said that yes yeah. um it was yeah i don't you know I, I don't really comment on it it wasn't me um i, I don't know whether that's um a, a, you know maybe a bit childish I, I i don't know it it was you know something which which john and brian did um I don't think the product that they produced was what I would have done, or, or where, where I thought the Tigers want you know should, should be. But you know, as, as, as a you know a music journalist as you are, and you, you have that opinion, then I, I, I will certainly go with that. <laughs> I think what we should say is it's very eighties, very eighties sounding. It it doesn't sound anything like really the classic Tigers sound no. now. Now um, the the next landmark was really. I mean, we fast forward now to the, the end of the 1990s. And I got a call uh, from Jess Cox. He said, um, it's 20 years since, uh, since the Tigers, you know, went out on the road. Um, there's a big festival in Germany called Wacken. Um, we, we, uh, you know, I, I know that the guy um, who, who does it, uh, he's been in contact with me uh, and asked whether the Tigers would play. Um, are you interested? So um, I hadn't played... Um, I, I kind of left the music business in earnest, I suppose, in about about '87, which is the last thing which I did with Jess. This, this uh, project called Tiger Tiger, uh, which um, we recorded an album but never actually came to fruition. Although one of the tracks from the album, uh, "Small Town Flirt," made it onto um, a neat early Tigers recordings. Um, I think it was called First Kill. I'm just going to go to my uh, 
my little um, CD library and see whether I can see it. Um, first kill. Where, where would that be? There we are. First kill. Um, yeah, that 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 came out initially on on Castle Castle Communication Records, I think. Mm. Um, I think it did. Uh, yes, Castle Castle Classics that came out on Small Town Float Track Ten. Um, um, and there was there was there was some great stuff on that album, um, but uh, it, uh, it it never happened. So um, <laughs> that that was that. Uh, and we um, just contacted uh, everybody in the band, uh, Rocky and Brian and uh, John Deverell, uh, and unfortunately they were all um, tied up doing other things. Um, so just said, well, listen, we, we can still do it, you and me, uh, and uh, you know we're, we're 50% of the original band, uh, and we hired um, three guys from uh, a local band up in the northeast called Blitzkrieg. Uh, and we had four rehearsals, got on the plane and flew out to Germany. And as we're on our, on our British Airways flight from uh, from Heathrow to Hamburg, uh, I was sat next to Jess, and Jess said, "Oh, by the way, I, I, I didn't tell you um, we're actually headlining tomorrow night," um, which um, was a bit of a shock. <laughs> I, I didn't think we were, um, you know, we were certainly ready to headline. I thought we were, maybe would be on sort of, you know, <clears throat> at breakfast time, <laughs> just to break everything back in. But um, yeah, yeah, there was, you know. Small bands like um, uh, Dokken and uh, Saxon and um, had all sorts on before us, and I thought, oh, dear me. You know, I, I had my bicycle clips ready at the time. A baptism of fire. Well, how did, how quickly did you get personally back up to speed, Rob, then, for that? I'd kind of, about sort of three or four years before that, I'd, 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 uh, somebody in the family was, was had a, uh, an old Strat, um, and they were, they, were, no, they were selling it or something like that. And I said, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll give you some money for that. Uh, and I bought it. So I sort of, you know, secretly had a, a, a played just to, you know, just to, just you know, not, not for anything. I had, I had no reason to play. I had no reason to write any songs or anything like that. But, you know, ideas just, and I had, of course, I, I had no medium to, to, to put them on because I didn't have a studio or anything like that. Um, uh, so I, I just sort of, you know, bashed away, as uh, as you say, um, with this guitar for for a couple of years, and then, you know, when when I got this phone call, um, uh, too <laughs> much dismay to my to my uh, beloved wife, um, I said, um, oh, I'm going to have to go and buy a couple of guitars, and I'm, I, I need an amp, and you know, and she, she just kind of, you know, looked at the ceiling and thought, yeah, I don't know what she thought. <laughs> um, and so, so, so that's exactly what happened. I went, went out and, and, uh, and re-instrumented myself, um, and um, it's been going on ever since. Yeah. So did that reformation then persuade you that there was still a demand, obviously, because you must have had a great reaction? You had 22,000 people persuaded yeah. me that, that, yeah. that there must be something still in, in Tiger's music, because uh, that, that, that's, that's what there was watching us. Um, and... Uh, I, I, uh, hence, hence the bike clips. Bloody hell! I, uh, I, I have a, I have a saying. I have a belief that um, rock and roll is the is the nicest and the most dreadful disease that you can catch. It's the it's it's the nicest disease because um, it makes you happy. <laughs> it puts a silly boyish or girlish grin on your face uh, you stand in front of the mirror with a hairbrush and, 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 and sing the lines 
of, of daft songs that, that that you have, you know, playing away. Um, you pick a tennis racket up and, and, and pretend that you're, you know, whoever you want to be, guitar player wise. And it's the most dreadful disease to catch because you can never get rid of it. It's always there. It's always in your blood. It's always present, and it. it it can get into so much trouble. And you reformed with pretty much the present-day lineup in 2001. And uh, fast-forwarding right up to date now, we're, we're going to round things off with another track from the new album, Ambush. And uh, we've picked out this one. I do like this, Rob. It's Burning Desire. And I think what we can say to uh, listeners is this is a great um, step forward, a natural step forward from the previous album, which was great as well, Animal Instinct. And um, once again, the album's called Ambush. So we say to you, Rob, thank you very much indeed for for talking to Get Ready to Rock. It's been a real pleasure. And um, all the very best with this album and uh, your future tour dates. Thank you very much indeed.